Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we take a look at the death of WWE DVDs and talk about some of the very best ones. Brock Lesnar sets the world on fire in overalls, and oh yeah, send in Hook. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Thank you for being here. Hopefully you're subscribed by now, listening on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to. Maybe you're a patron. Maybe you're Not Sam Shill at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. However you found us, welcome, and I'm glad that you're here. We're going to talk about a lot today, as I said at the top, a whole deep dive into WWE DVDs now that we know they're going away. But before we get there, oh, and I thank in advance, because I'll forget if I don't do this right off the bat. Thank you to R-Truth for doing the show last week. He was so, so good. If you did not hear the show last week, make sure you download the episode. You can go to youtube.com slash Wrestling and watch the video of the entire interview. Of course, you get all that stuff first at patreon.com slash Wrestling. But go to YouTube, uh, watch the interview, youtube.com slash Wrestling. R-Truth was just in rare form. Or maybe it's not so rare form. He's just always that good. But he was excellent. And speaking of excellent, speaking of good, we had a very, we had a, I would say, a bigger than average Friday night for wrestling uh, a few days ago, last week. We ended the week strong, I felt. I want to talk a lot about Brock Lesnar in just a minute and everything that he's doing. But before we get there, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what happened on AEW Rampage, let's talk about the anticipated debut of the man himself, Hook. Yes, we finally got to see Hook in action. Now let's talk about why this debut was so noteworthy. Because I think for some people, it's, it's 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 a polarization. Some people are sitting there going like, well, of course, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in professional wrestling. This answers all the questions. Who is the superstar that will eventually defeat Roman Reigns? Obviously, Hook. The forbidden door is going to have to be open. It's the only thing that makes sense. And then there's another side of people going, I don't get it. I don't understand it. What on earth are you talking about? Why was this debut so effective? Why was this debut so great? Well, I will tell you. Because when you look at it, like, look, I don't know anything about any TV ratings, but will it make the ratings for Rampage astronomical? Probably not. But that doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Too much thought is put into TV ratings anyway. All that matters is the conversation that is happening around the debut of this superstar. It's all you could ever want. All that matters is that on a Friday night at 10 o'clock at night, you debuted a wrestler that has never wrestled on television before, and the whole wrestling world is talking about it. For whatever reason, everybody's talking, and that's what makes it effective. To me, this is what they did right with Hook. And sometimes this is all it takes. Well, they did a lot of things right with Hook, but sometimes this is all it takes. Sometimes this is the number one thing, and in this case, it was the number one thing. What AEW did was they didn't blow it. Sometimes that's all you have to do, and I know I make it sound so easy, 
And it's really clearly, if we look at history, for any promoter that's ever existed, it's not that easy to just not blow it. It's right here for you. It's become a thing on its own. Just don't blow it and it'll be great. Ah, but I want to blow it. And boom, it's gone. No, AEW didn't blow it. So Hook starts showing up on AEW TV. He's Taz's son. The human suplex machine had an offspring. And of course, that offspring is the glorious Hook. Immediately, Hook becomes talked about because if Timothy Chalamet had about 10 gallons of testosterone injected into him, he would be Hook. And how that comes from Taz, I don't know. But Taz created an incredible offspring named Hook. He's a very attractive man, all right? He's coming out here and he's not smiling and he's all business and he's got a chiseled jawline and he's got a full head of hair that's just sweeping all over the place. And you're like, this thing, this guy is something out of a, 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 a television show. This isn't even real life anymore. Doesn't have an ounce of body fat on him. But as Team Taz shows up, right? Hook is just there. He's just this entity. Send Hook. Becomes this thing. Becomes a meme. AEW effectively memed a debut. And some people may look at that as a negative. But if you look at that as a negative, I don't think you understand the culture that we live in today. If you can meme a debut... You have effectively done something that we should all be trying to do. There was a time when water cooler chat was what you were going for. You want to do something on your TV show that are going to get people at talking at the water cooler at work the next day. Water cooler chat is not a thing anymore. We are not waiting until the next day or on a Friday night until Monday to see what's happening at the water cooler. No, we want to get the meme going immediately. The best thing you can do in any entertainment product, whether it be sports, standard entertainment, or sports entertainment, which is the exact same thing as pro wrestling, what you want to do is create a meme out of what you're doing. And Hook, Send Hook, immediately became this meme. People liked it, ironically. And this is the thing. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Because that is also looked at as something negative. But it's okay when people like something ironically. Because if people like something ironically enough, then they start to develop an affection for how this thing makes them feel. If you can get somebody to like something ironically and you can hold on to that for long enough, eventually people forget that they liked it ironically and they just like it. It just makes them feel a joy. And you go, why do you like this? Because I like it. I just do. It's like Apple Jacks. We eat what we like. That's the way memes are. You like something ironically and eventually you, ju you just like it. You like it because you like it and you like it. And that's difficult to pull off. That's, that's, that's a rare, it's, it's, a, it's a commodity. And so, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that there was a thought as soon as Hook started getting memed to put him in the ring and let's, let's execute this. Let's put him in a tag match with somebody. Let's, let's put him in there with somebody that can carry him through something. Let's, let's get him in there right away. And it's like, no, they pumped the brakes because they were like, let's make sure that this kid is ready. Let's let this simmer. Let's allow this to build and build and build. And if it doesn't build, hey, it is what it is. We'll still find a spot for him. But if it does, then we're all good. 
And AEW allowed this thing to build and build and build until finally they announced, boom, Rampage, here it is. You're going to get to see months later the debut of Hook. We called Hook. And here he comes. And let me tell you something. Hook did not disappoint. Hook came to the ring and he was radiating something that the wrestling industry desperately needs more of. They've got a little bit of it. They've got it sprinkled in different places throughout different promotions, but it's not the standard. Hook is cool. Hook comes out to the ring. Action Bronson is spinning his theme music. Hook's got a cool theme to start. Hook's got a cool look. Hook's got a devil may care attitude. Hook's got a, it's a very, it's a very uh, of the time, youthful lackadaisicalness. Hook does not care. Hook is not excited to be there. Hook does not respect his opponent. I thought the best shot of the whole debut was Hook in the corner with his back to his opponent and the camera getting a shot of that beautiful face with the with the ring and his opponent and the referee all behind him and Hook not cracking a smile, not caring. That is cool. That's the new cool. That's what's cool now. It's like it's it's almost like a throwback to James Dean, but completely modernized. And then by the time the bell rings, Hook's actually able to pull off some moves. We saw a head and arm Tazplex. They called it a suplex. I call it a head and arm Tazplex. I just hear Joey Styles screaming in, head and arm Tazplex. And he ends up beating him with the Contahajime, the Taz mission. Just a little tip of the hat. They didn't call it the Taz mission, just a little tip of the hat. I love Taz's commentary on it because he was doing, he was maintaining his professionalism, but he was allowing his proud papa bearness to seep right through. And you end up going, at the end of this thing, you go, okay, I know I started liking this guy ironically. I know I started liking this guy because I was jumping on board with the meme. Send Hook. But now, this guy, probably the best looking dude on the roster. He's cool. Like, there's, like I want his approval. <laughs> you know? The fact that he's not smiling, the fact that he doesn't look impressed by anything, the fact that he seems like a tough guy, the fact that he's got muscles and tattoos and whatnot, it makes me want his approval. I, If I'm in high school, I want that guy to think I'm cool. He's not a douchey jock cool guy, right? Like, if you're in high school with MJF, you're not going like, I want that guy's approval. You're like, fuck that guy. That guy keeps tripping people in the hall. You know, that guy keeps pushing people around. He steals people's lunch money. I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I can't wait till that guy gets his comeuppance. Hook. Hook is outside wearing a leather jacket, cutting class and smoking. Hook is the man. And Hook doesn't say two words to you, but it's not because he doesn't like you. It's just because he doesn't care. He just never even thought to. Hook is the guy whose approval that you want. Hook is the guy that steals your girlfriend. And you're like, well, yeah, obviously, right? When MJF steals your girlfriend, it's like, fuck that guy and fuck her too for making that choice because that guy sucks. What a douchebag. When Hook steals your chick, you go like, yeah, I can't blame her. Honestly, if the girl that you were with picked you over Hook, you'd go, there's something wrong with you, lady. I don't know what your deal is. And then he gets out there. He doesn't need pyro. He doesn't need weapons. His hands are his weapons. 
And he's, you know, tip of the hat to the dad, but not exactly like his dad, his own person. And boom, you got lightning in a bottle. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was effective. I love that people are on board with it. I was saying in the beginning, it's. I don't think it's going to take a big uptick in ratings right now. But I don't think that that's what it's about. I think that the, the, the people are going to be talking about this. I think that there are people who don't watch AEW that are going to be like, what's with this hook thing? Everybody's talking about hook. What is that? Boom. That's all you need. I keep hearing about this thing. What is that? Let me tell you. And you're off to the races. That's exactly what you need. I thought they did a tremendous job with it. Um, and, and I love what they're doing. And I, I, I can't wait to see what's next. Clearly, CM Punk is going to beat MJF. Only because one day Hook beats CM Punk. Then Hook beats Kenny Omega. John Moxley returns, loses to Hook so that Hook can complete his journey, go to the top of the mountain, look face to face with Hangman Page and choke him out and have the freaking coolest AEW champion of all time. Congratulations to Hook. Congratulations to Taz. Congratulations to AEW. It was dope as hell. You know what else is dope as hell? Brock Lesnar. Monosyllabic wrestlers are at an all-time high. Hook, Brock. I'd love to see those two get in the ring together, huh? I don't know what would happen. <laughs> Brock Lesnar. You know, I feel a little bit like uh, the guy who liked the band when they were an indie band. And now they've become a worldwide global success and everybody's on board and you're like, well, I liked him back because, you know, I sent out this tweet that uh, still some people disagree with, but most people agree with it now that says, can we just get to the point? Are we there yet where we can admit that Brock Lesnar is just excellent at all aspects of professional wrestling or sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, because it's two branding things that mean the exact same thing. Brock Lesnar, and, 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 and I hope by now people see it. You have to see it now. When you're looking at what Brock Lesnar is doing today, and you're like, okay, Brock Lesnar is supposed to be at this moment like, you know, one of the top baby faces in the WWE, in the wrestling industry as a whole. And every time Brock comes out, ooh, do I want to cheer for him. A couple of years ago, Brock Lesnar, one of the biggest heels, one of the biggest villains in the entire pro wrestling industry. And every time that guy comes out, ooh, do I want to boo him. And when he was a villain and he was beating the streak and he wasn't defending the title enough and he went, oh man, I was tweeting about how much he sucked. But these days, now that he's a hero, I'm tweeting about how great he is. Hello, McFly. Is this not the newest of new kayfabes? Is this not the most effective performance that you've ever seen in the world of sports entertainment? I mean, it's ungodly. If anybody still questions why The Undertaker lost his streak to Brock Lesnar, name one person, one, who could have done more with beating The Undertaker's streak than Brock Lesnar. If you look through, and then people go, yeah, he's good when he cares. There's like, one instance of Brock not delivering, and that's, of course, the infamous Dean Ambrose match, and that match has become has been built to be 
have even more lore around it because Ambrose referenced it or John Moxley, whatever. I mean, he was Ambrose at the time, referenced it in the interview with Stone Cold where he said Brock didn't want to do anything. So that, and that interview was awkward as hell. But that interview, I loved it, created this narrative that Brock Lesnar doesn't want to do stuff. But if you watch Brock with Finn Balor, if you watch Brock with Samoa Joe, if you watch Brock with AJ Styles, if you watch Brock with Drew McIntyre, if you watch Brock with any of these guys, Daniel Bryan, if you watch him with Roman Reigns, if you watch him with John Cena, if you watch him with any of them, you'll see somebody performing the art of professional wrestling at the highest level. You'll see somebody that is telling the right story at the right time. When Brock Lesnar first came back uh, the night after whatever WrestleMania it was, I believe it was after John Cena beat The Rock. So I want to say the night after WrestleMania 29. And he had a match with John Cena at the pay-per-view after that, Extreme Rules. The match that he had with John Cena at Extreme Rules was night and day from the match that he had with John Cena a year and change after that at SummerSlam. And that's because he was telling a different story because the story changed when Brock Lesnar beat the Undertaker streak. You have the the Extreme Rules match with John Cena still compared to anything that was going on on WWE television at the time. It was nuts. It felt real. Like, I remember that feeling like a real fight. John Cena ended up winning that thing. But there were moments that felt uncomfortable because Brock Lesnar was a different entity and it was his first WWE match back after leaving to become a force in the UFC. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And a year and change, anybody lost to John Cena. And then he went to WrestleMania, he lost to Triple H. He was losing big matches. And everything changed when he beat The Undertaker for the streak at WrestleMania 30 because then he goes to SummerSlam that year to have his rematch with John Cena. And that's the match that again made people uncomfortable because it was so different. That's the Suplex City bitch match. And that match you're sitting there and and to this day, there are still people that go, well, all Brock did was one move over and over again. He cheesed him. It was like you were playing a video game and you just played down B up, down B up, down B up. And it's like, enough. Oh, you can, oh, you can, oh, you can. And it's like, you're not fun to play with anymore. But you know what? Maybe Brock's character was not fun to play with anymore. Maybe that's the story that Brock was telling at that time. That Brock 
was aware enough that Suplex City Brock needed to come out. That the story that Brock was telling was, I don't care about satisfying the fans. I don't care about the performance that I'm going to give you. I am advertised as a prize fighter. So what you're going to do is you're going to see a beast walk into the ring and devour his opponents. And it's going to be very different than the match you saw with Triple H at WrestleMania a year ago. It's going to be different than the match you saw with The Undertaker a few months ago. It's going to be way different than the match you saw with John Cena a year and a half ago. Because this is a different story that we're telling with a different Brock Lesnar. And that Brock Lesnar has evolved since then. And he's changed when he needs to change. When he's in the Royal Rumble, you believe everything that Brock Lesnar does. That's what makes him so good. You believe everything that he does. The reason the 2020 Royal Rumble was so great and the reason that people were so high on Drew McIntyre was number one, because Drew McIntyre's the man. No getting around that. But number two, Brock set him up like a million bucks. And it wasn't just the one sell job. Everybody points that out because that's part of it. Because Brock Lesnar sells like a motherfucker. Brock Lesnar will sell. You go back and you look at the, at the, I mean, I talked about it with Samoa Joe on the Not Sam Wrestling Peacock show, which you can still get on Peacock TV if you search Not Sam Wrestling. But I talked about the, the in-ring promo, that it was Heyman and Brock and Samoa Joe and Roman. And Samoa Joe stepped up to Brock and Brock stepped right back to him. And in that moment, Brock allowed the Brock Joe story to continue to the point where Roman Reigns, the head of the table was a side character to that bigger story. And that's because Samoa Joe is so amazing, but that's because Brock Lesnar was conscious of the moment and understood the story that was happening at that time. And that if we're going to go and we're going to build this multi-person match that Samoa Joe is going to be a part of, I'm going to take this moment to make sure that Samoa Joe comes across is as, as big a star as Roman is and as I am. And that's what Brock did. And he goes to the Royal Rumble, and not only does he sell the Claymore kick for about three minutes as he's laying on the outside side of the ring unconscious but what really made things for drew is that he created this environment where fans truly believed he might win the royal rumble that drew doubled the amount of fan love that he got that night doubled the success that he had with the audience because the audience was afraid that Brock Lesnar was going to cheese everybody in the Rumble and win that thing because Brock spent 15 men, half the Rumble, just eliminating people. And it was a beautifully put together match just with all these different ways that Brock could be eliminated. Oh, is Keith Lee going to eliminate Brock? Oh, or is Ray and Kofi? And by the way, how about the sell job that he did, Brock did for Ray and Dominic when he hit him with the double 619? Brock didn't have to sell for Dominic Mysterio. Dominic hadn't even debuted yet in a ring, but he did. But the fact that that the, the domination that Brock showed throughout that match only to be eliminated with that Claymore kick is what made that match one of the things that made Drew McIntyre. And it was done on purpose and it was done with an awareness. And then when Brock Lesnar comes back, when Roman Reigns' character completely shifts, and now we've got to tell a story. Now we've got to tell a story that compels fans. We have seen 
Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns already headlined two different WrestleManias. And it got booed out of the building both times, once more than the other, because Seth Rollins jumped in. Praise be to God. WrestleMania 31. But Brock and Roman has happened. So Roman's character shift changed and it allowed a new story to be told. But in order for that new story to be told, Brock has to come back and be able to tell another story. A story so compelling that we're willing to believe that Brock versus Roman is something different and something we have not yet seen. And guess what? Brock came back and he made us believe. He is playing on that elite level with Paul Heyman and with Roman Reigns. And it's happening right in front of our eyes that we're sitting here anticipating this match at day one. And if you're a real fan, I mean, if you're a cynic, fine. What am I going to tell you? But if you're a real fan, you're headed towards this day one match thinking about all the different possibilities of Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, which is exactly what you should be thinking. Brock Lesnar comes back and now he doesn't have Paul Heyman in his corner. So he's got to cut his own promos. And for the first time in years, he's got to be a baby face. And what does he do? He shows up with a ponytail and a beard. He's got his arm around Sami Zayn. He's wearing overalls. He's working with people. He's he's naming dead moose after Adam Pierce, Scrap Daddy. He's crushing it. He was amazing on SmackDown this week. And it's amazing to be Brock Lesnar and still be amazing. I'm walking in before SmackDown, knowing full well that Brock might be the best professional wrestler working today. And I'm still flabbergasted at how great he was on SmackDown. This ain't going to be popular, but at the end of the day, you could start making arguments for putting Brock Lesnar on a Rushmore. He's that good. He's so good that we don't even know how good he is because We don't see past the curtain. That's how good Brock Lesnar is. He's the only one left. Maybe him and Heyman and Roman. The only ones left that actually keep the curtain shut. And I think Brock does it more so than Roman or Heyman. Brock keeps the curtain shut with seven master locks. You can't open it. What you see from Brock is the character that's presented to you. And that's it. So what do you do as a fan? You believe it. You believe the character that's presented to you. Either you believe that he's this awful guy that doesn't care about the business and is just there for the check, or you believe he wants to kick the shit out of somebody, or you believe he's out there having a good time again. Whatever he wants you to believe, that's exactly what you're believing. That's one of the many things that makes Brock so good. I'm thinking about, and today might not be the day because I do want to talk about these DVDs, but uh, I am thinking about what we could do heading in to day one and where this leaves WrestleMania. You know what? I'm going to talk about that next week. Let me write that down. I'm going to talk about that next week because I'd like to go a little bit more in depth uh, with that. Um, I do want to say, we talked about this on the uh, Patreon bonus podcast this week, but... Very bummed about Jeff Hardy. 
Um, hope he's doing well with family. Uh, I, he's just talk about goats. Talk about greatest Jeff Hardy. There's just about nobody like Jeff Hardy. Absolutely incredible. The stuff that he's done, the amount that he's done, the prolific nature of his career, I think is still underappreciated. Um, I personally, like to me, I thought it was pretty obvious that he was being positioned to get another main event run. Now, I don't think he was going to win the title. I don't think he was going to beat Roman. I don't think he was going to main event WrestleMania. But I do think that on the road to WrestleMania, he would have been the next guy to main event with Roman Reigns. I think there's a very high likelihood that you would have seen Roman Reigns versus Jeff Hardy in a Royal Rumble title match or at the February pay-per-view or something like that. You know, I thought there was a reason why at Survivor Series he was the last remaining survivor on the SmackDown team before Raw won. Um, and yeah, it's a bummer. I hope, I he's one of those guys that I feel like there's such fan love for that you just want him to get another run. You know, I hope he can get his stuff together and uh, come back to WWE. I don't think, I mean, if if the reason that he's gone is because, you know, he's dealing with his issues, I don't think he should be performing anywhere right now. But I'd love to see him get healthy, and I'd love to see him back in a WWE ring because I think he's got a lot to contribute, especially if you just listen to him on Broken Skull Sessions. It's a bummer, man. It's a real bummer. It's also a bummer uh, that apparently, you know, reports are that Johnny Gargano is gone. I thought the the segment with Gargano on NXT was great. You know, I think Grayson Waller, I thought it was going to be Braun Breaker. Grayson Waller, to me, is the standout of 2.0. I think they have their own Jake Paul in Grayson Waller. Just a, a, a super heel for the new era. Um, I thought he was perfect. I thought he was great at war games. I thought the buildup to war games with Grayson was great. I, I, I feel like he's probably my number one draft pick coming out of NXT. If Hook doesn't beat Roman Reigns, maybe Grayson Waller will do it. I don't know. But I love me some Grayson Waller. It does look like uh, Johnny Gargano is Gonski, though. You know, reports are that his contract expired. He's now a free agent. He did reopen his pro wrestling tea stores back up immediately. He hasn't said anything officially. But I actually, when I watched the segment, I figured he was gone. And, you know, I thought it was interesting. Like, a lot of people, Kyle O'Reilly, same thing. My, my instinct was that he was gone. A lot of people didn't understand why you know, they wouldn't just leave after the pay-per-view. Why, if they were going to leave and potentially go to AEW or someplace else, that NXT would build them up on their way out. But I'd say that's a fairly uneducated opinion. If you're watching the show, like, they were built up at the end of a pay-per-view so they could both go to NXT television and both put over a new guy on their way out. You know, Kyle O'Reilly putting over Von Wagner on his way out. And Johnny Gargano absolutely put, I mean, allowing the idea that Grayson Waller would come in and ruin his goodbye speech and completely put him over on his way out. That's the way you want people to go out. That's the way it should be done. So I was I was actually very happy when I saw that. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what both those guys do next. Johnny Gargano especially. I feel like Johnny Gargano is, he's, I, I feel like we haven't seen the best of Johnny Gargano yet, which is amazing to say. I feel like he's just hitting his peak and I don't know if everybody's fully realized the level at which he's performing at right now, but he's just, he's so good on every level in the ring, on the, you know, on, on the mic in the entertainment area. It's, uh, it's just so good. He's going to be an asset wherever he goes. So I'm very, very, very much looking forward to seeing that. Um, 
very, very soon, wherever he ends up. Uh, but I did want to talk about this uh, WWE DVD news. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Not Sam Wrestling. While you're here, don't forget to please subscribe to this podcast. Don't just download it. Subscribe wherever it is that you got this podcast. And if it's on Apple Podcast, leave a five-star rating and a review. It helps the podcast more than you know. While you're subscribing to things, make sure that you visit us at youtube.com slash Wrestling and hit the subscribe button there. We've got every interview as well as podcast specials going up every single week for free at youtube.com slash Wrestling. And if you want even more Not Sam Wrestling, if one show a week does not suffice, become a Not Sam shill at patreon.com slash Wrestling. We do a bonus episode every single week. You can watch the podcast get recorded live every single week. Video of everything that we do, opportunities for Zoom calls, and of course, for everybody that signs up as a Not Sam shill, you get every Not Sam Wrestling podcast early and 100% ad-free. Thank you for listening to the show and for your continued support of Not Sam Wrestling. The WWE announced uh, last week or two weeks ago that as of 2022, they would be ceasing home video physical release production in the United States and Canada, which I would say very fathomable based on where we are at today, but I would say only even five or six years ago, completely unfathomable. Home video is a spot where WWE has kind of been at the forefront forever. I mean, back to VHS. VHS was a huge part of the WWE's entire business plan. When they were doing four pay-per-views a year, they were still putting out a home video like every month. Anybody that grew up with Blockbuster Video, going to the wrestling section and finding the WWE videos was a huge part of your childhood. And even when WCW was at its hottest, they never really matched WWE in the home video department. Like they really sunk a lot of energy into being at the forefront of VHS and sales. I mean, they had Coliseum Video was what it was back in the day. So I, was, when I was born, I was living in uh, the United States and I spent the first few years of my life here in New York. And that's where I know Coliseum Video from. Then I moved to the UK. So for all you guys listening in the UK that are around my age, I grew up with the same thing that you grew up with, Silver Vision. We didn't have Coliseum Video in the United Kingdom. We had Silver Vision. Silver Vision would release all the pay-per-views and the home videos we had them in PAL format, so nothing worked when I got back to the States. Um, and stuff was a little more difficult to find, at least, you know, there in the late 80s and early 90s in England than I think it was over in the U.S. But, yeah, I mean, they, they would put out some of these matches that you never even got on pay-per-view. You would find buried on home video releases. Um, and then when, when DVDs took off, right? It was right at the beginning of the 2000s, like literally the year 2000. And I remember that because the first, they put out WrestleMania 15 on DVD. Like that was maybe the first WWE DVD that came out. It might've been the first pay-per-view ever released was WrestleMania 15. But WrestleMania 2000 was, I feel like the first really big WWE pay-per-view DVD and really started 
that train moving. I, I feel like uh, in my collection, because you know, you know I love wrestling stuff, right? I love wrestling stuff. I have a, an insane WWE action figure collection, like insane. And I'm the same way with VHS and specifically DVD. Once I got into WWE DVDs right there in 2000, I was in. I think, I want to say, and I've never gotten rid of any of them. I've gotten rid of a lot of my DVD collection, but not the wrestling ones. And I think that I have every WWE pay-per-view through 2010 on DVD. I want to say everything that's been released, meaning all of the monthly ones, including, and you know, this became a whole thing. I was deep in the culture. There were some WWE pay-per-views that were only released through like WWE Shop. Like One Year Judgment Day was only released on WWE Shop. And so that's a very rare DVD, but I just went on WWE Shop when it came out and ordered it. So I have that. I have I've everything that they released from 2000 to 2010 on DVD, as well as all the pay-per-views that they went back and released. So like when they put out the WrestleMania anthology, when they put out the Royal Rumble and SummerSlam and Survivor Series anthologies, like I went back and uh, and got those box sets so I could have every conceivable pay-per-view released on DVD. But I mean, they 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 DVD was where I think WWE really got the pulse uh, and came to the realization that there was an appetite for their library of footage, not just everything that they had currently, but everything that they had been doing when they realized that people were hungry to own content that had happened years and years ago that you could put out pay-per-views that you had already put out on VHS from 15 years ago and people would want to have them on DVD. They got into Blu-rays, but I feel like WWE really... I mean, you know, I I got some of the Blu-rays. They put on some interesting bonus features from like TV shows and stuff like that, but... I don't feel like WWE ever really was uh, at the forefront of the Blu-ray industry. I feel like they went right for streaming, which they were way ahead of everybody else. When it came to, they they basically, even though they had Blu-rays, in terms of really trying to get their, their hands on the thing, they got their hands on that DVD market. Then they went to cable on demand with WWE Classics 24-7. Then they went to the WWE Network, which when it came out was like so far ahead they still don't get credit. It was so far ahead of what a lot of people were doing in terms of streaming over-the-top content. Uh, kind of remarkable that they would put their whole library out like that. But one of the big things that I think WWE DVDs became synonymous with, and, and one of the reasons why, to me, the DVD era is by far the funnest WWE home. Well, look, the network is the best WWE home video era. Like we literally are paying 10 bucks a month or some people less than that for Peacock. But I feel like WWE network coming out at $10 a month and here's the whole library of content. That probably is the peak of WWE home video. WWE network is probably the number one spot. But in terms of physical media, the DVD era is by far my favorite because they started releasing documentaries. And that's another thing WWE realized there was a strong appetite for because they would put out these documentaries and they would become hits. It was like every year, WrestleMania, everybody would need that DVD. And then you were also good for like four or five 
WWE documentaries that would come out exclusively on DVD that you absolutely had to have. Um, you know, before I get into actually talking about it, because I thought what I do today is I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what my favorite WWE DVDs were. And I put together a list of 10 WWE DVDs that I think everybody should go out and get their hands on now. If you can, if you've got the scratch, I've got a list of 10 DVDs that you should just have in your collection, right? Even if you're not a DVD collector, even if you just want a representation of the WWE's offering on DVD, pay-per-views aside, this to me is the list of what I would have. If I could only have 10, I'm gonna tell you what I would have. But before we get there, uh, I want to talk about the idea that WWE is stepping away from uh, DVD sales and whether or not it's a, it's it's the right move. Like, I think for some people, they would say, well, clearly it was a matter of time, right? DVDs are dead. Nobody, nobody uses DVDs anymore. And while I understand the sentiment, it's not accurate. DVDs and physical media are not dead. They've changed, but they're not dead. It goes back to last week, the conversation that I was having with R-Truth about the fact that he should put out his album on cassette. Because while you're not gonna sell the amount of cassettes that you would have sold before, and you're not gonna sell the amount of DVDs that you would have sold at one point, you're not gonna sit there and send hundreds of thousands of copies of these DVDs to Walmart, Target, and Best Buy you are going to be able to hit a niche collector market. And I think that's the focus that you could have to save this market. And, and I don't know, I'm not, I, I'm not here to talk from a business perspective. You know, all somebody needs to do is break down and go like, well, here's the amount of money it would cost to produce and here's the profit we would make and that's why we're not doing it. And I'd be like, I don't know what to tell you. That's fine. But I can tell you as a fan, as a collector, as somebody who loves this stuff, that there is a way to do it. I mean, I thought when DVDs and Blu-rays started to dip, I thought I was done. Like as you started to see Best Buys become stores where at one point they were, half the store was Blu-rays and DVDs. And then eventually, like it's boiled down now to like a shelf and a half. And I did at one point go like, this is done. I'm gonna buy all my movies on Apple. This is way better. And then something in the last like two years, made me realize like you don't have to pick one or the other that you can still use Netflix and Peacock and everything streaming and you can still get most of your movies on like Apple so you can watch them on your iPad and you don't have to worry about keeping track of a disc you don't have to download anything it's just all right there your collection's right in front of you that's fine some people don't even believe in a collection anymore some people are like well you know I'll just rent it on the cable box and I'll be able to see whatever I want to see because literally anything is available for me and that's fine too. But anybody that that appreciates kind of this stuff, anybody that appreciates, whether it's movies or wrestling, anybody that's a collector, there is still that thing where you rem you you like owning physical media and there is a way to make it make sense. Like I can't go to this. I can't imagine buying Iron Man on Blu-ray. I can't imagine at this point in my life getting a Fast and the Furious movie on Blu-ray. It just seems absurd. 
But if there's some sort of really low-key B-movie that was made in 1986 that nobody's ever heard of that you could create some really cool art for that no streaming service would ever bother to buy the rights for and that you can throw on some ridiculous extras for, then yeah, I'm all about buying that Blu-ray and I buy those Blu-rays all the time. For me, I feel like there is still a place. Like I feel like the idea that every pay-per-view would be released on Blu-ray is insane. I didn't even know it was still happening, if I'm being honest. I guess at like Walmart and some other spots, you could still buy WWE pay-per-views on DVD. I think that's nuts. But I think the idea of every year putting together an amazing package for a WrestleMania Blu-ray, I think that's easy. If you hire a real artist to create some really great cover art, if you maybe make a documentary about the behind the scenes of that specific WrestleMania, if you include a bunch of bonus features like behind the scenes content and content from the TV shows leading to WrestleMania in their full form. And if you make it a limited edition, if you say we're going to put out 5,000, 10,000, 25,000, whatever you have to do, if we're going to put out 15,000 copies of WrestleMania 38 and it's going to be a four disc, I mean, I don't know if you'd have to do a four disc Blu-ray, but you could do a three disc Blu-ray and it's going to have the complete raw after WrestleMania and it's going to have the complete SmackDown before WrestleMania. And it's going to have a documentary about WrestleMania. It's going to be the whole pay-per-view. It's going to be the whole kickoff show. And it's going to be in this great package with this art on it. And it's limited edition. And I think there's a market for that. I know that I'd be like, yeah, of course. I want to add that. And then I want to have a shelf that has all these WrestleManias across it. I mean, there was a time where I already owned all the WrestleManias. And then the WWE re-released the exact same discs that were already in the box that they had put out as single versions with new cover art. And I almost bought all those single versions just because of new cover art because I thought to myself, how great would it look to have all the WrestleManias lined up? I think when it comes to documentaries, it's like, you know, the amount of documentaries that get put out on the network, the amount of content that gets put out on Peacock, it becomes really difficult to keep up, to tell you the truth. Everything starts to feel disposable. I feel like the 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 value is lessened because of the amount of it. And it's it's a problem of being spoiled. It's a problem of too much birthday, I think. But like realistically, for instance, I think that the Tom McGee documentary that they did, the documentary on Tom McGee where it was like, yeah, this is a compelling story that wrestling fans care deeply about. And the documentary is amazing. And then the original footage is attached to it. But like, that's the type of thing that should be a Blu-ray release. That's the type of thing where you should expand. First of all, you should expand on the documentary. You could easily produce, it's, instead of it being like a 25-minute documentary, because we don't know if we're doing this for YouTube or what we're doing it for, you could put out a 90-minute documentary that gets deep into finding a replacement for Hulk Hogan, finding Tom McGee, what the other superstars thought of Tom McGee. Bret Hart having his match with Tom McGee. The matches Bret Hart had had before Tom McGee. Bret Hart's role in the company. Bret Hart's feelings about the fact that he was used as the person to get people over for the position that he wanted. 
the feedback after the Tom McGee match. But then where did this tape go? And why was it lost for so long? And everything around it, I think you could easily tell a 90-minute story if you're not worried about people clicking onto something else. And when you put out something on Blu-ray, that's the beauty of it. You're not worried about people clicking onto something else. You don't even need people to watch it. Once they buy the disc, they bought the disc. But then you put on the bonus features of every Tom McGee match that you have in the library, the Bret Hart match, the Ted DiBiase match, all of it. And it doesn't have to be great footage. There doesn't have to be commentary on it, nothing. Maybe you put out an alternate commentary. Maybe you get Bret Hart to watch the match and explain what's going on. Maybe you get Bret Hart and Tom McGee to watch the match together. You could do it over Zoom. You don't even have to have them in the same room if it's just a commentary. You know, there's a million things that you could do to flush that out and make it a disc release. I feel like, you know, I watched the Yokozuna Icons documentary. That thing is so good, I feel like it gets buried on the on Peacock with everything else. That's easily a three-disc, or if it's a Blu-ray, it would be a two-disc. That's easily a two-disc Blu-ray. It's an hour plus. I think you could add to the documentary, if it's a Blu-ray documentary, you could, again, make that a 90-minute or more. You could make that a two-hour documentary. Then you could put on bonus features with, like, you know, footage of Yoko backstage, all the, like, raw footage that you grabbed from for the doc. You could put a ton of matches on there. I mean, a ton of matches. Put on the raw footage of his, like, tryout matches where he's wrestling in the wild Samoan gear. Put on the pay-per-view matches. Put on everything. Like, put together a deluxe Yokozuna package with artwork, limited edition of 15000 and boom, you're off to the races. If WWE put out boutique Blu-rays that were, like, limited edition of fifteen to 20000 and they put six out a year, one of them's WrestleMania. This Yokozuna one's one of them. Tom McGee's one of them. I think that's the way to do it. Everybody's wondering, like, you know, everybody knows that they made a documentary about Vladimir the Superfan. I think it's called Fanatic. But this thing was made a long time ago. Supposedly, it was entered into film festivals and got a standing ovation. But they don't know what to do with it, where to release it. Put the thing out on Blu-ray. Put the doc out on Blu-ray. Make it a full-length doc. Put it out on Blu-ray. Use it to tell the story of fans coming back. Put on a ton of bonus features that have to do not only with Vladimir the Superfan, but other fans. All the raw footage you have of Vladimir the Superfan. Limited edition, sick artwork, boom, you're off to the races. You know, I, I really feel like there's a spot for it. But so I, I think that the, the issue is, and the reason that this has all gone by the wayside is that all the energy is clearly in the streaming platform, which is where it should be. I mean, you'd have to have a small group of people strictly dedicated to this physical media stuff because I don't think you should pull anybody off the streaming platform. I think the streaming platform is where it's at. The streaming platform is going to be your big, big moneymaker. You're not going to make a billion dollars from NBC for your DVD business. It's just a way to make some scratch on the side. Why not? And to create something with uh, some big collector fan interest. But I think all the A&E documentaries that came out deserve a deluxe DVD treatment or Blu-ray treatment, you know? Um, some more than other, like the Bret Hart one is amazing. The Ultimate Warrior one's amazing. Um, but all of them are great. The Roddy Piper one was really, really good. But there's no reason why each of those documentaries shouldn't have its own, and you probably just have to release them online. This isn't the type of thing that you're gonna have Walmart sell. You know what I mean? This is the type of thing that you're gonna sell directly from WWE shop or something like that, set up your own distribution for. But 
you know, I saw what they did and they did do a deal with Walmart where they put out, I think there were like, I don't know, 10 documentaries total. Who'd they do? Sean, Warrior, Macho, Mick Foley, Brett, Booker T. Maybe it was six. However many it was, six or eight, they split them up and they basically just put out two DVD sets and each of them just have half the documentaries on it. So you buy one DVD set and you've got four of the A&E documentaries on one and four of the A&E documentaries on the other. And, you know, it doesn't look very well put together. It looks like they just slapped the things that we saw on TV onto discs. And that's the type of thing that's dead. That's the type of thing that you look at and go like, why would I ever want this? Like, I, I just, they it's the exact same thing that's streaming on Apple, except nothing. Like, I guess if I real if I, if I don't have internet, then this would be good. But if I have internet, this is useless. And that's the problem that, that people look at it like it's one or the other. Like, let's just make these DVDs for people that don't have the internet. And you're like, well, what about the people that do have the internet that actually can appreciate this stuff? I was thinking about it. And like, for me, especially before the network came out, like I was a big time, I was a huge tape trader. I have hundreds, if not thousands of VHS tapes still in my parents' house, you know, all locked up in my closets from when I was a kid. But uh, searching for full length TV shows, untouched, was always a big deal to me. Like I would go to the conventions, the wrestling conventions, and I would always buy, I'd spend like 75 bucks or whatever on these guys. They would make like bootleg DVD box sets where it would be like 40 to 50 discs and it would be all the, or maybe like 30 discs and it would be all the episodes of WWE superstars from 1992, from 1991, from 1990. And I would buy these things and it would literally be somebody in like Boston because it would have all the local commercials still recorded superstars off the TV onto VHS and then made a copy and then made a copy and then made a copy and then somebody ripped it onto a DVD and all the episodes were there. And so like anytime they had those or wrestling challenge, I would grab them episodes of raw because, you know, I would, I would tape them off TV, but I didn't have every episode taped from way back then. I didn't start taping every episode until much, much later. And so I would always be on the hunt for these TV shows because it was easy enough to find pay-per-views, right? Like WWE always put their pay-per-views out on home video, VHS, DVD, whatever it was, but not the TV shows. So for me, any WWE DVD that came with like bonus features or a bonus disc, that had full episodes of TV was holy shit gangbusters. This is exactly what I've been looking for. So when I made this list, I went through my collection, which I still have all of them, of what I think are the 10 most important WWE DVD releases. That these would be the 10 that I would probably keep. These would be the 10 that if I didn't have a collection, I would try to get now because the, the odds are that a lot of this stuff is going to go up in value. That there is now a, an, even though they made as many as they did, a lot of them have been thrown out. A lot of them are all over the place. And there is now uh, a, a, officially a finite amount of these that exist, 
right? Everything is out of print, which means a collector's market, I believe the collector's market will grow on these. You know, again, it'll be niche, but it'll grow. So before I get my 10, these, these I have one, two, three, I have four releases that I considered for the top 10, didn't quite make it. If I remade my top 10 list, they might make it the next time, but these are all very, very good. Number one actually came pretty late in the run of WWE DVDs. And and by the way, most of these documentaries you can get on Peacock. So you can still watch these things, but it's more it's more having the discs. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul Heyman, is a great DVD set for a few reasons. Number one, it's a three-disc set with a ton of great footage, a ton of great matches, a ton of great Paul Heyman stuff. But number two, because I feel like most of the time, most of what we know of Paul Heyman, most of the interviews Paul Heyman does, Paul Heyman protects his character very well. Paul Heyman is very guarded over the actual, I find, over the actual Paul Heyman. It's very, very seldom do you feel like you're getting the real Paul Heyman and not a character that he is portraying in order to get something done. So in this one, we really strip away everything. We 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 strip we take Paul Heyman away from ECW or Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns or any of the other big things that he's associated with and just boil it down to who is this guy? Paul Heyman is amazing. What makes him tick? Who is this guy? Let's ask this guy all the questions. And I think you have as stripped down a version of Paul Heyman as you're ever going to get. It's still very Paul Heyman. But it's just like, you know, he's not playing games. Not He's not promoting something. You know, Paul Heyman, is, is, he's a carnival barker. He's the best at it, but he's always promoting something. So to hear him talk without promoting something except just to tell his story, I think is great. Um, you Think You Know Me, The Story of Edge is a great DVD set. Uh, not only for the additional footage and the matches that are on the thing, but because... This DVD came out, uh, I think, I want to say right at the end of Edge's, what we thought was Edge's career. And it's told in a very interesting way. And I remember when the DVD came out, I was very, very jealous um, because instead of it being like Edge talking to camera the whole time, they actually filmed a couple of radio interviews that he had done describing who he was. This is before there was wrestling podcast and, and, you know, wrestling YouTubers interviewing people. He recorded, they, 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 WWE crew came in and recorded Edge talking to, uh, talking about his career with different radio people. And they kind of used those sound bites to do a lot of the narrative for this story of who Edge was and is. And you get this real appreciation for who he is beyond the character. It's a really, really good release. Um, I love, there's, there's several. Mick Foley releases. Everybody knows I've been a huge Mick Foley fan forever. But the For All Mankind, The Life and Career of Mick Foley DVD release, for me, that's the quintessential Mick Foley DVD release. Um, it's it's very well done. A lot of great matches are picked for it. Like his stuff with Vader is highlighted on it from WCW. There's a ton of his older stuff from even before WCW. But it's just the documentary on it is so good because it's removed enough from the Mrs. Foley's baby boy era 
you know, from the from the guy who got thrown off the Hell in a Cell era where you just started to learn about Mick Foley. It's removed enough from from that era and into the, you know, makes a guy who's now doing stand-up comedy, who's doing this, who's doing that, and we actually, there's enough space now that we can properly reflect on his career. And for me, that's what makes this release. Really, really love it. It's my favorite Mick Foley release. And then my final one that's not officially on the list but could be is Cheating Death, Stealing Life, the Eddie Guerrero story. And I'll tell you why. Not only is it a great DVD set, but there are a couple. There are two different special editions that came out that I believe were store exclusives. And I got both of them. Because as I told you, the TV thing was always very, very important to me. The two sets, one is in a tin and the other is like a three or four disc or whatever. One of them comes with a bonus disc, which is the complete Eddie Guerrero tribute episode of Monday Night Raw. And the other one comes with a bonus disc, which is a complete Eddie Guerrero tribute episode of SmackDown. And it was at a time where getting these full TV shows on disc was a very rare thing. So it was really, really cool. If you can get your hands on one of those special editions, I don't know what they're going for now. Obviously, they were limited when they came out, but they're awesome, and they come with the full episodes of TV on there, which to me is probably my favorite bonus on any of these, and you'll probably see that on the list. All right, so let's get in, and I I have, there are some, I guess technically, there are some pay-per-views on this list, but... No single release pay-per-views are on this list. There's a couple of box sets on the list, but no no single release pay-per-view. This isn't like the rarest DVDs. These are the things that you should have in your collection. Number 10 on my list is the SummerSlam Complete Anthology box set. This came out in 2008 for the 20th anniversary of, of SummerSlam. So you've got in this box set, SummerSlam, you, you, you would think they would put it out in 2009, so that way they could have 1988 to 2008, but they didn't. They put it out in 2008, so they have 1988 to 2007. And they released these as four different box sets. Like, you can get them, I think it's four different four-disc sets with all the SummerSlams on them. But there is this one set that has all four box sets inside, and it's shaped like a cooler. And, I mean, again, it seems trivial now because we have such easy access to all of the pay-per-views but the idea of having those summer slams from the late 80s and early 90s on dvd in full dvd quality was amazing at the time having them all in one big set in that cooler i actually have it right over there is is just a cool piece to have so SummerSlam, the complete anthology is on my list um Speaking of anthologies, also on my list at number nine, I just grouped them together, is WrestleMania the complete anthology. And not just because if you've got a DVD collection, you really should have all the WrestleManias. And it is actually making me think that I need to go through and make sure that if there's any WrestleManias I don't have on DVD or Blu-ray, I should probably get them now. That's how sick in the head I am. But they put out WrestleMania 1 through 20. And I believe they updated it and put, they put WrestleMania 21 as like an additional disc inside the lid of the box set. But I believe the first WrestleMania anthology is WrestleMania 1 through 20. 
And the version of this that you're going to want to get, and it probably costs you a pretty penny now. I think it's hard to get. I have one, not because I, I bought it when it came out. When they first released this thing, again, this is just like SummerSlam in the sense that it's got four, four disc box sets inside one bigger box set. But when they first put it out, they made one version of it. And I think they made like, 5,000 of them. It's a limited edition, but it's in black leather. Instead of it being like a gold box, it's in a black leather box. It's got the WrestleMania logo. I'm looking at it right over there. It's numbered and it's signed by Vince McMahon on the top of it. Not a stamp signature, not engraved. He took a gold pen and he signed it. And it's like, if you want to have a home video recollection of WWE, first of all, WrestleMania is the way to go. The first 20 are probably the 20 most, well, among the 20 most important. And having it signed by Vince McMahon is one of the features of the box set. And all of the box sets, I believe there might be one. I think like Shane McMahon or somebody had one. Like there is at least one of these box sets out there that is not signed. But for the most part, all of these are signed by Vince McMahon. They're all real because they only released this set signed by Vince. So if you can scour eBay and get your hands on that, that's probably the ultimate sort of piece in a WWE DVD collection. Number eight is actually probably the last significant, last necessary release that WWE put out on DVD. And it was the uh, unreleased, never-before-seen matches, 1986-1995 DVD box set. Uh, I love this thing. It's got a lot of tryout matches. It's got a lot of dark matches. It's got a lot of house show matches. Some of them are like really great. Like there's some Macho Man matches on there. I think there's a Macho Man Bret Hart match on there or something like just matches that fans would like to see. Others are like total oddities. Like they have two jobbers dressed up like the Ninja Turtles that wrestled a dark match just because there were Ninja Turtle costumes backstage and they were like, let's just try this and throw it out there and the cameras were just always rolling. So this is basically a collection of stuff that normally, I don't even know, like there was a thing back in the day for tape traders where when like Raw was live, there were satellite feeds and you could get tapes of satellite feeds that people made because if they had a satellite dish at their house, that's how they got their TV, and they knew the coordinates, they could tap into the WWE satellite and watch the satellite feed instead of the television feed. So that way, anything that was delayed out or anything that was whatever, or you could hear uh, the commentators talking during the commercial breaks, all that stuff you could get access to. I don't think even then you would be able to get most of the matches that are on this DVD set because they weren't broadcast live. Like it was, if the cameras were rolling, it was because they were shooting five episodes of syndicated television, like WWE superstars or something like that. And these were just matches that they threw on as, as specialties for the live crowd or just stuff they never used on TV. Um, But it's really, really good. And I don't think it's on Peacock. It might be, but I don't think it is. It's definitely one that, that you should have. It's definitely got one that like, There's plenty of stuff on there. If you just throw it in, it's a great one. If you're like doing chores in the house, 
and you've got a DVD player hooked up or something in your computer or something. And I don't even know, you know, most, if you got a PlayStation, you know, and you just throw this in while you're cleaning the house, it's kind of perfect. Uh, number eight on my list is, oh, that was number eight. I'm sorry. Number seven, number seven is incredible. Number seven, you absolutely have to have, and you have to watch it like the Bible. And this is one that if you haven't seen it, go on Peacock and at least watch it and then get the DVD set so you own it. It's called Greatest Rivalries, Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. And after this came out, I was really hoping that Greatest Rivalries would become a series, but it didn't. It was just the single release. And what it is, is it's a three disc set and it's full the bonus is the two discs are full of the history of Sean and Brett and it has everything. It has all their stuff of, you know, the rockers and the heart foundation facing each other and Sean and Brett at house shows. It's got the Sean and Brett ladder matches that predated WrestleMania 10. It's got, and it, and it, and it, and it leads up all the way to 1997. It basically looks at these guys who went almost 10 full years kind of neck and neck in WWE and working together the entire time and kind of chronicles that history. But the big feature on the first disc is basically, it's about a two-hour interview. And Jim Ross sits down with Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and just hashes things out. And it's it's as much of a shoot as you're probably ever going to get on a WWE DVD set. It's not character-based. It's Again, it's one of these that's removed enough that... Nobody's protecting anything anymore. It's just two guys talking about this thing that happened. And and to me, as much as the Sean Brett rivalry and the Montreal thing has just been analyzed to death, this DVD set is just a great historical document. Really, really important when you're talking about DVD releases. Uh, number six on my list. Number six is not even, t- like there is a DVD release. It's not the most salacious DVD release. It's not the most content-rich DVD release, but to me, it's just such an important piece of WWE home video history that it has to be on the list. And that is the DVD version of Cuz Stone Cold Said So. Cuz Stone Cold Said So was really the first home video around Stone Cold Steve Austin, and it put forward this fairly kayfabe documentary about Stone Cold. But it was like the Cuz Stone Cold said so VHS completely took WWE home video in another direction. I mean, if you were any kind of a wrestling fan in 97, Cuz Stone Cold said so was at the top of your VHS collection. Everybody had this tape. It was the WWE tape. It was that and the D-Generation X tape. The D-Generation X tape was wild because there were boobs on that tape. It was just as the Attitude Era was taken off and the idea that WWE Home Video put out a thing where there were boobs on that tape, it was amazing. I remember having, because Stone Cold said so, and the DX uh, VHS tapes as home video releases. There were a few good VHSs at the very end of that run. They put out a really good Kurt Angle kayfabe biography because at the end of the vhs by uh, uh docs it was still very kayfabe like they didn't start doing uh non-kayfabe stuff until the dvd thing came in but they did end up 
re-releasing because Stone Cold said so on DVD. And I just feel like, again, the same way I think that the greatest rivalry, Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart, is an important historical document because it's a package of everything that rivalry was. Because Stone Cold said so is an incredibly important historical document because it is a symbol of where WWE was at this time and, and what brought them to this place. Like this is, there's a few things like the same, if you're going to have a wrestling t-shirt collection, even if it's not the rarest one in the world, you got to have an Austin 316 t-shirt and you got to have an NWO t-shirt because those t-shirts changed everything. I feel the same way about the cuz Stone Cold said so DVD, which I only say get the DVD because it'll hold up longer than the VHS will. And it'll probably be better quality as well. Number five on my list, we're getting back to excellent documentaries. Maybe the best documentary that the WWE has ever put out about one of their superstars. CM Punk, best in the world. It's again, a three disc set. It's got a ton of, of matches. This one's really interesting. CM Punk Best in the World is a very important release, not only because it's such a good uh, doc, but because it's got footage. It's the first WWE home video released that used footage from Ring of Honor. And that was like unheard of. That was one of those things that, that WWE just didn't do. We were still in this spot where WWE was a closed bubble. You know, like there there, there was no forbidden door this is what it was and so the idea that they actually licensed ring of honor footage to tell the real story of cm punk not wwe's cm punk but cm punk cm punk was amazing and beyond that you know just the way it's shot following around cm punk in chicago it feels like punk is telling him story telling his story not just being interviewed he's at the tattoo parlor he's talking about his family he's talking about how he was raised he's talking about then, he, you know, how he got into wrestling, the backyard wrestling, invading independent shows, IWA Mid-South, getting to Ring of Honor, getting to WWE, everything. It's just really, really great. And it also, if you watch it, it gives you an appreciation for why people love CM Punk so much, why it's such a big deal when he shows up on AEW. There's no questions. Like, like if anybody wonders, like, why, why do people love CM Punk so much? Put on this DVD and people will go, oh, he's the man. I didn't even realize he's the man. Number four on my list, and this goes back, this is not the greatest release by any stretch of the imagination in terms of quality, certainly in terms of bias, but just in terms of, oh my God, I can't believe this exists. And because it's not available on Peacock and it was never available on the WWE Network, but still like, it does show some real insight as to how the WWE was thinking at a certain time. Number four on my list is the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. Now, there is a bonus disc version of this DVD, which I have because, again, I was such a little freak at the time when the DVD came out. I heard there was an FYE edition that had a bonus disc that had like five additional matches or four additional matches or something on it. So, of course... I had to find an FYE and get the bonus disc version. So that's the version that I would recommend if you can. But even if you can't, this is such a, this, this, this only exists on DVD. It will probably ever only exist on DVD. Um, and 
I mean, it, it, it's a hatchet job. But like, quite honestly, I found the A&E's Macho Man uh, documentary to be a, a hatchet job. This one's more of a hatchet job. But still, it's just one of those things that I can't, be- I can't believe this was made and produced and the WWE took the time and the effort and the resources to actually get this thing out there. It's kind of, uh, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing and it's just one of those things that should be a part of a real collection just because of what it is, you know? You can rewatch it just if you want. I mean, if you're a glutton for that type of thing, I don't know when the last time I actually watched it was, but I do know that I have a crate of DVDs. Most of these DVDs that are even on this list are in like a big plastic Tupperware in my mom's attic because I have access to just simply, if I simply want to watch them, I have access to watching them on Peacock. This one I have with my Vince McMahon set, with my SummerSlam set. I have it right here. I probably should have brought it here on the desk to show you guys because, you know, it's just not something you come across every day, but something that you probably, I don't know what it goes for now, but I would imagine that it's only going to go up as time goes on and as WWE is producing less to no DVDs. Number three on my list is an interesting one because I don't know if people will see the same value in it that I do, but I love this thing. I can't believe it came out. I I had to search far and wide for it. I think it might've been released in limited numbers. I at least know that it was tough to find in stores. It's the raw 20th anniversary DVD set. And I believe it's 15 discs. It's either 10 or 15 discs. And it's 20 full episodes of Monday Night Raw. This thing for me had me going nuts. When they announced this was coming out, I was like, I, 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 can't, I, I can't believe it. This is what I've been waiting for the whole time. I sat there fantasizing, wishing that they would come out with like a, a, an even bigger DVD set. Okay, it's a 12-disc set an even bigger DVD set that had all the episodes of Raw, but it's basically, it's the 20 greatest episodes uncut and on episode of Monday Night Raw. You can get this thing on eBay right now for 40 bucks. I paid way more than 40 bucks for it in a store when it came out. This is one of those things where, God forbid, Peacock goes down. God forbid, what? because like I sit there going like, what happens if WWE... 20 years from now, sells the company. What happens if the people that they sell it to don't find a streaming platform for it? What happens if somebody else, I don't think Vince would ever allow it to happen, but what if somebody else allows the WWE tape library to simply collect dust? I couldn't have that. I'd say, thank God, I have this raw 20th anniversary box set. It came out in 2013. Um, I don't know if I've got a list in front of me uh, of all the... Oh, yeah, okay. So, um, it's got a documentary on it. I don't think it needs... It's, it's like a short documentary. It's, it's nothing. I skip it every time. It's got the uh, May, 3rd, May 17th, 1993 episode. That was Shawn Michaels versus Marty Jannetty. Oh, and the one, two, three kid versus Razor Ramon. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's the first, that's the that's the upset. One, two, three kid beats Razor. 
It's got Raw Championship Friday from 1996. It's got the original ECW Invasion, arguably my favorite episode of Raw, from February of 97. It's got the uh, uh, European Championship Finals episode of Raw from March of 97. It's got the episode uh, where uh, Bret Hart fights Vince McMahon. That's July of 97, where he pulls Vince's shirt over his head. Also in 97, two months later, from uh, Madison Square Garden, which is also the debut of Cactus Jack. It's the episode of Raw where Steve Austin stuns Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon catches that stunner. You got Raw from 1998 where Dude Love turns heel and uh, uh, and the main event is Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. I think that's where the ratings started to shift. That's the first Raw that actually won, against, I think, against Nitro. It's got a January of 99 where Mankind wins the championship. Ha! Huh, that'll put butts in the seats. Well, guess what? It's one of the 20 best episodes ever. It's also also March of 99, the beer truck episode of Raw. May of 99, this is the highest rated episode of Raw ever, which includes uh, the Mean Street Posse versus Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe. Believe it or not, I believe that at the time, it was the highest rated segment in the history of Raw. It's got the Raw simulcast from 2001, the last episode of Nitro. Old Travis Teft should check that out. Uh, then it gets into 2003, Raw Roulette. People love Raw Roulette. It's got Raw Homecoming from 2005. It's got the Raw 15th Anniversary Show in 2007. It's got the King of the Ring Tournament that William Regal won in 2008. It's got, uh, 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 oh, the episode, this, this is one that they would probably think twice before they put out on DVD. It's got the episode where Vince McMahon sold Monday Night Raw to Donald Trump. Do people even remember that episode? And Donald Trump turned around and said that the next week he was going to make Raw have no commercials and, and they had to kill the storyline because shareholders got so upset because they don't know that because they worked themselves into a shoot, brother. 2009 episode for Madison Square Garden. Main event is Chris Jericho and Big Show versus John Cena and The Undertaker versus DX. Oh my God. 2010 episode, Stone Cold hosts WrestleMania Rewind which is not like a best of show. You're actually doing WrestleMania rematches hosted by Stone Cold Steve Austin. 2011, June, the pipe bomb, come on. And then in April of 2012, the Raw after WrestleMania, uh, including John Cena calling out The Rock. I mean, all in one box set, all complete episodes of Raw. I love this box set. I love it so much. My number two pick, and this is, not only is it a favorite because of how good it is, it's got a good documentary feature, and then it's got an excellent, excellent, excellent collection of matches, but because of how important this is. My number two is Bret the Hitman Hart, best there is, best there was, best there ever will be, three-disc set. And the reason this is so important is because I believe that Bret credits this home video release with the reason that he went back into business with WWE. He felt so strongly on making sure that the WWE's DVD release of him appropriately showed his career that he did something that he said he would never do again. He worked with Vince McMahon and they put out a hell of a DVD set. Definitely excellent one. I'm sure you get very inexpensively, but 
one, I think I think the story of Bret Hart is so important to WWE. That's why he's twice on this top 10 list. And I think that this DVD set, like so, so much work was put into it to make sure it was good. And I think it's reflected on there. And then, of course, I don't think this would be any surprise to anybody. I think this is everybody's number one. You know, it's kind of annoying to even do these lists because everybody has the same number one. The Rise and Fall of ECW is just the best DVD WWE ever produced. It's got a, a tremendously long, thorough documentary about ECW. Everybody is highlighted. The Rise and Fall of ECW as a DVD set, I think it's a two-disc set with matches, is so good and was such a hot seller that they revived ECW as a brand. They brought back the one-night stand pay-per-view. They, they started one-night stand because the DVD did so well. The pay-per-view did so well that they brought back WWE CW. So really the legacy of this DVD set is not great, but still how many DVDs do so well that you revive a dead wrestling brand? That's how good this thing is. I remember I got to meet Dawn Marie and Rob Van Dam at an FYE and got them to sign my copy. It's very, very excited. It's a very fun time to be the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. So that's my list. Rest in peace to WWE DVD releases. Hopefully they figure something out because I think there's a lot there for collectors, you know, for that niche collector. Uh, if I missed anything, if you want to contribute to the conversation, notsamwrestling at gmail.com is my uh, email address. And uh, don't forget, you can join us uh, at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling for all of our, uh, everything we do on video, as well as patreon.com slash notsamwrestling for our bonus shows and everything else we do. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.